0: We're going to finish up the section in Revelation. I want to read all the way back to the beginning of chapter 3 so we can get our full context regarding this church of Sardis. We've been studying the seven churches of Asia Minor, Revelation 2 and 3. And we've talked about how each of these churches, there was an immediate application for the message that Jesus was sending these churches. And then there's also an historical perspective, how... We've we've seen how these various churches have represented different periods over the last 2,000 years in the history of the church. And then I believe there's also the contemporary uh, application where we see certain aspects of all of these churches in existence today in various parts of the body of Christ. So Sardis, as we talked about week before last, uh, is known... As the dead or dying church. It has been identified with the church of the Middle Ages. Let's read, beginning of verse 1, all the way up to verse 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And again, that's a recurring theme in the New Testament as well, that Jesus is coming as a thief in the night. Now, again, that's another way, one of the many ways we know That the rapture of the church is not the same as the second coming of Christ. In the rapture of the church, the rapture is a secretive event that only those who are watching and waiting and ready will experience. The rest of the world is going to be left dumbfounded and most of them are probably going to believe that we were taken away by the aliens. That's one of the things they're spinning, folks. Have you noticed there's more and more news every day about alien life? Now they're claiming they've found evidence of alien life on Venus, I believe it wasn't it? They they found some kind of microbial dust in the atmosphere surrounding Venus and they claim that this is proof that Venus at least at one time had life forms on it. You know, we just more and more of this every day. Even on reputable news sites, there are more and more reports all oh, the government's been hiding all this stuff from us and maybe they have. But what the government thinks they see is not what they really see. Because going all the way back to the late, great Dr. Walter Martin in the 70s, he put forth the proposition that these UFO sightings were actually sightings of uh, demonic entities. Transdimensional activity. We all know that angels go back and forth between heaven and earth, right? We know that uh, particularly... As recorded in the Scriptures, people have had angelic encounters, and I suspect there's other evidence of that besides what we see in the Scriptures of angelic encounters, and people have had demonic encounters. In fact, particularly those who have delved into the realm of psychedelic drugs, LSD and so forth, psilocybin, you know, you name it, all these uh, psychedelic drugs, oftentimes they report having seen whom? Satan. Satan. You see, in the, in the Bible, the Greek word um, for witchcraft is pharmakia, and it has to, you know where that word comes from, right? Pharmakia, pharmacy, drugs. There's a direct connection in the Bible between witchcraft and drug usage, and when people engage in this kind of drug usage, and I believe it goes all the way down even to marijuana, you're opening the door to demonic infiltration. Do you realize that? People are so ignorant of that fact. But when you delve into that realm of mind-altering substances, you are opening the gateway to demonic activity. At any rate, one of the uh, primary explanations for the rapture that's been put forth over the last few years is that uh, what's holding back our civilization, our planet, from moving forward into the age of Aquarius, right? Uh, The new age, the new world order. What's holding that back? Christians, that's what they say. We're the fly in the ointment, if you will. Christians, we're the ones holding everything back. When in fact, it's our Lord and Savior Jesus that's going to move things forward. So they're going to tell people, well, what happened was, because of the fact that these superior alien life forms who actually are our founding fathers that's another part they know that the big bang theory and evolution is totally shot to heck the secular world knows that so they have to come up with another explanation for our existence because they refuse look at Romans chapter 1 they refuse to acknowledge the creator they've got to come up with another explanation the Darwinian theory is shot it's done A lot of people are still brainwashed into believing it, but the people in the know, even in the secular scientific world, they know Darwinism is dead. So they had to come up with another explanation for how we got here. So now these superior alien life forms, who are thousands of years advanced beyond what we are, they came here and planted their DNA on planet Earth, and so we are actually the offspring of alien beings. They go from one insane theory to the next, do they not? So they're going to tell people, well, what happened was our, our forefathers, these uh, superior alien beings that put us here in the first place, recognized that these uh, primitive Christian believers who believe in the Bible and God and Jesus Christ, they took them all away to go to their planet and reprogram them to bring us up to speed and if we don't shape up then they'll probably just, you know, exterminate us. It sounds ridiculous, but there's a lot of ridiculous stuff out there that people are buying into hook line and sinker, is there not? Very interesting anyway. That probably was a deviation, I suppose. But I I'm good at that. Deviating. In fact, I haven't even got through reading the introduction here. Okay. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. Again, the rapture is a secretive event. The second coming says the whole world will see him. As lightning strikes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. The second coming is not going to be secretive by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, at Revelation chapter 19, we're told that all the armies of the earth under the leadership of the Antichrist will gather to try to prevent Jesus from coming back. And he's going to slay them with the sword that comes out of his mouth, his spoken word. It's not a secretive event. But the rapture is like a thief in the night. And In this passage, Jesus is warning the people of the dead church of Sardis, you better wake up. Otherwise, you will not know what hour I'll come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you as always for your word. We love your word. We cherish it. We treasure it. Thank you for this precious, precious gift you've given us so that we can learn about you, get to know you better, draw closer to you, Father. We thank you that your word is our spiritual food and you're the good shepherd. And you love to feed your sheep. So we ask you to bless this time of Bible study now in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, another sign of genuine revival is God's people are excited about Jesus coming back. When you're not excited about Jesus coming back, that probably means you know you're not where you ought to be. Or you're distracted. You're totally focused on the things of this world. Instead of the things of God's eternal kingdom. Having a hard time digging in here. I just, there's a lot swirling around in here after four days in Omaha. You have a few names, even in Sardis. So, like, Sardis is really bad, man, but even Sardis has a few. And that, the good news in this is that there's always, even in the deadest of churches, And I don't consider us in that category by any stretch of the imagination. But even in the deadest of churches, God always has His faithful remnant. I'll never forget many years ago, I was on tour with my my Christian music group, Phoenix Sunshine, and we were in Ohio. And uh, one of the cool things about being involved in that ministry was we got invited to sing and preach because we really used the music as a vehicle for preaching the gospel. We talked between the songs and talk about Jesus and teach scripture and witness. But this church in Ohio, it was a very liberal church. I believe it was a united Methodist church. We did what we always did. We didn't hold back at all. We sang, we preached. And afterwards we were outside and these two young people came up to us, late teens or so, and they were in shock. They said, how in the world did you ever get into this church? They said, as far as we know, we're the only two believers in the whole church. And they were so excited that we were there. But and so even in that very dead church, God had a faithful remnant. It was only a couple people. But they were there, and they were excited that we were there. And I don't know what happened after that in that church, but just an example of how God always has His faithful remnant. And as I've said before, we do take quite a few shots at the cult groups here because they are liars, they are deceivers, they are leading people astray. But I think even even within the Mormon church, Jehovah's Witnesses, you name it, I suspect there are probably some people who really know Jesus. I don't think it's a majority by any means. But God promises in His Word that His Word will not return void. And so when people are sincerely seeking God with their whole heart and they're reading the Scriptures and they're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to them, you can be anywhere and you can become a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. And so... The other side of that coin is unfortunately there are a lot of people in more mainstream groups who think they're going to be there and maybe aren't. But you have a few names, a few people who have not defiled their garments. Now Luke 18.8 When the Son of Man comes will he really find faith on the earth? And so Jesus is indicating that Another sign that his return is near, there will be a marked decline in the number of people embracing the true faith. Just like we have fake news today, we have fake faith. We have fake Christianity. When Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith? He's talking about the true faith, not the man-made faith that so many have embraced today, But there will be a marked decline in the number of people embracing the true faith of the God of the Bible, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So many have rejected large parts of the Scriptures, anything that makes them uncomfortable, anything they don't agree with. Last time I checked, we don't have to agree with God for Him to be right. In fact, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar Matthew seven fourteen. Jesus said narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life it's not difficult to get saved that can happen in an instant when you confess your sins before God and you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you ask him to forgive you of your sins wash you with his precious blood come and live inside of you. But what Jesus means is, difficult is the way which leads to life. Becoming a follower of Christ is definitely not the path of least resistance. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Jesus said, hey, if you want any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's a cross of self-sacrifice. It's a cross of denial. We're called to a higher form of living in Jesus Christ. The gate is narrow. Again, the world would like to cut a wide swath, wouldn't they? In fact, they do cut a wide swath. They will accept just about anything except the truth, right? And now not only can you embrace any belief system that you want to, except Christianity... And then Judaism comes in right behind it. That's, there's a lot of rising anti-Semitism in the world today, isn't there? We both worship the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one true God. You can believe anything else you want, and that's fine. But if you believe in Jesus, the aliens are going to get you. <laughs> Narrow is the gate. Because Jesus said in John 14, 6... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the gate. You don't have a big, wide, expansive gate. You know, all pathways lead to heaven. You've heard that one, right? Doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. See, that's not the way it is, folks. It's a narrow gate. Difficult is the way which leads to life. It's a challenge. That's why repeatedly we see here in Revelation... Jesus talking about the rewards for the overcomer, the one that stays the course, the one that fights the good fight of the faith until the very last breath that we take. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And by that, Jesus means eternal life, right? If you're here, if you're functioning biologically, if you're breathing eating, drinking, sleeping, breathing, then you are alive in a biological sense, but Jesus is talking about eternal life, the pathway that leads to eternal life, and there are few who find it. Is that because God doesn't like most people? No. God so loved the world, right? Why are there few that find it? Because there are few that are willing to truly humble themselves before the living God admit that they're sinners, repent of those sins, confess them before God, and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. There are few that are willing to really do that. But what happens to us as believers, especially if you're part of a a church like ours where there's a real commitment to teaching through the Scriptures, not just giving warm, fuzzy messages, what happens is we kind of live in a bubble and we kind of start to think maybe not on the conscious level subconsciously whatever we start to think that everybody loves god like we do that everybody studies the bible like we do that everybody loves to worship the lord and sing and praise him and all that when the fact of the matter is we are in the minority folks we're in the minority and so it's a challenge it's a difficult path it's a difficult path and for those who are still out there in the working world, I know we have a lot of retired folks in our church. If you're still out there in the working world or in school or in the office, then you encounter these things. You know the resistance. You have a few in Sardis. Even though Jesus identifies Sardis as a dead church, and it's one of the churches in Asia Minor that he has absolutely no commendation for. He usually starts with a commendation and then a rebuke. He has no commendation for Sardis. It's a dead church, but even there they have a few names, a few people, a faithful remnant who have not defiled their garments. Now, there are some inscriptions in Asia Minor that indicate these ancient temples to all the various idols that they worshipped. They had a some kind of a posting or an acknowledgement that it barred temple worshipers from entering with soiled garments because this would be an insult to the deity, so to speak. And it reminded me of Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus tells this, the parable of the wedding feast. And this is where God, the king, invites all these people to the wedding feast. And it's too long to read the whole parable but what I, I just want to read in verses 11 through 14. When the king came in to see the guests, this is the wedding supper of the Lamb, those who were invited to come and celebrate with God here at the end of the age. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. And it's just like I referenced a few moments ago so many who sadly believe that they will be part of this wedding feast, when in fact, when they show up, they will not have the proper attire. Because the only wedding garment that will get you into the marriage supper of the Lamb are the robes of righteousness that Christ bestows upon us when we're born again by the Spirit of God. Folks who have not defiled their garments and many within this church in Sardis had been become soiled by the hypocrisy of dead religion and riding on their reputations. Jesus says, I know your works that you have a name that you are alive, verse 1. You've got a reputation for being alive, but in actuality you are dead. And so there are many things that can give a church the appearance of having a name, a reputation as a really going concern, but without any true spiritual depth. Some in Sardis, a few, had not become soiled by the hypocrisy of dead religion and writing on their reputations, verses, or as opposed to walking in the Spirit. They, Jesus says, this few, this small group within the church in Sardis, they shall walk with me in white. And there's that garment, just like a bride, the bride of Christ, walking down the aisle with the bridegroom. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now what makes you worthy? Again, we can never uh, muster up enough goodness and righteousness and holiness within ourselves to be worthy. It's only when we yield our lives to Christ and He clothes us in His robes of righteousness that we become worthy. James chapter 5, it says, The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's very uh, effective. But how do you find a righteous man? You find a man who's humbled himself before God and confessed his sins. It's Jesus' righteousness. It's his perfection. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. What? Because they're perfect? No. Because they've humbled themselves before God, confessed their sins, repented, been born again by the Spirit of God and filled with the Spirit of God. But what a fantastic thing to have said about you. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And you see, the thing is, people can say whatever they want about you. They can judge you. They can smear you. Boy, social media, there's a lot of that going on in there. You can trash somebody's reputation in a heartbeat. But you know what? At the end of the day... As long as God says you're worthy, that's all that really matters. Luke 21, 36. And this again is the parallel passage to Matthew 24 where Jesus lays out for the disciples the things to look for as indicators that his return is at hand. Luke 21, 36. Jesus says, watch therefore and pray always so we're to be watching for him Contrary to to many today who say, oh, just just get off of it, man. Quit talking about the, the rapture, the return of Jesus. We just need to focus on the here and now. Really? That's not what the Bible teaches. We're to be focused on eternity. Be watching, be praying. You might think, well, you know, I've been a believer quite a while now, really grown a lot in the Lord, don't need to pray as much as I used to. Really? I pray now more than I ever have. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Again, those who say, no, no, no. The rapture doesn't happen at the beginning of the tribulation. It happens at the end. We're going to be here. But God will protect us. We've been over all this, folks. The tribulation is the outpouring of God's wrath on an unbelieving world. And it's God's time to restore Israel. The church has another role during the tribulation, and that's to be at the throne of God, worshiping Him. And Why would Jesus dangle this carrot in front of us? Pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. So you need not feel guilty. Do you ever feel guilty sometimes? Lord, please get us out of here. Take us home. I want to be with you. Do you ever, do you ever feel guilty afterwards? Or maybe the devil's trying to beat you up a little bit. You chicken, you wimp, praying to get out of here. Don't you have the the fortitude and and the guts to stay here and fight for God during the tribulation? But Jesus says, pray that you may be counted worthy to escape. Why would he tell us that unless it's possible to escape it? Right? Pray that you may be counted worthy. And again, it's not because we're good enough, we're smart enough, or doggone it, people like us. No, it's because we are walking in right relationship with God. Allowing the Holy Spirit to search our hearts daily. Giving God permission to confront us with our sin for the purpose of confession, repentance, renewal, to maintain a right relationship with Him so that we don't fall asleep, that we don't become blinded, that we don't get sucked in by the deceptions of this world. Watch and pray. Now, that doesn't mean go out, you know, to the Sandias or the Manzano's or somewhere and just sit on the mountaintop and wait for Jesus to come. We're to be here serving Him, occupying until He comes. But we are also to have our eyes to the skies expecting Him to come at any moment. Here's the uh, amazing thing about it. You could be the best person that ever walked this planet and still go straight to hell when you die. Those who think that it's karma, that you know, you got to weigh the good versus the bad. Hopefully I, I have more good than bad and I'll be able to get into heaven. You can be the best person that ever lived. And again, that's what we see with some of these false belief systems, these cult groups. The whole emphasis is on works. And so outwardly, they, they appear to be the best of the best, don't they? They don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't drink or go with the girls that do. Wow, these people are model citizens. But you can be a model citizen and go straight to hell. As Hal Lindsey put it many years ago, uh, there's going to be a lot of sincere people in hell The problem is they were sincerely wrong. Conversely, and this really blows people's minds, you could be a serial killer, a mass rapist, you name it, pedophile, and go straight to heaven if you repent and put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. So it turns out Oftentimes, it's the people that we see as the least likely. By the way, that was the apostles, the disciples of Christ. That was David's men. David went out and gathered an army from all the rejects of his day. 600 of them became his mighty men. The ones we see as the least likely, these horrible, horrible people. We're all horrible, really, when you get right down to it. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. Perhaps the person who is in the greatest danger of spending eternity separated from God is the one who thinks they have it all together and has all the outward trappings of being the model citizen, the perfect person. You know, Robert Young, Father Knows Best. I still like that show. I mean, for the vile, wretched sinner, which we really all are, if we want to be honest, this is good news. The devil would tell you, the world would tell you, you really think God's going to save you, man? You are beyond redemption. You're irredeemable. Remember him when Hillary said that? They're a bunch of irredeemables. Look in the mirror, lady. But that's what the devil wants you to believe. That's what the world wants you to believe. Don't even think about God, man, because he ain't thinking about you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's good news for those who really recognize and realize how vile and wretched they really are. But God loves you anyway. God so loved the world. God sent his only begotten Son, and he died on the cross for you. And you can be forgiven. Now sometimes even though that happens, someone's done a lot of bad stuff and they are touched by the Spirit of God and they receive Christ and they're born again. There are some things you still have to pay the price for. There's no promise from God that you won't have to pay the price, but the good news is in eternity you will be with Him forever. This life is for a few brief moments. But eternal life in Christ is forever. Verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. He who overcomes. We see this over and over again. This is another major emphasis in the New Testament, and especially here in Revelation 2 and 3 the overcomers, the faithful remnant, and then those who overcome. Now in this case, with Sardis, this church is a dead or dying church. The overcomer will be the one who keeps the fire burning in his or her heart. All the things we've talked about this morning and beyond that, overcoming the world, the flesh, the devil, the temptations that this world throws at us, and especially the temptation to depart and deviate from the true faith and embrace an easier, more comfortable, false gospel. That's why Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Real faith. Not a fake faith, a false faith. A comfortable faith. He who overcomes these things the temptation to be caught up in false doctrine. To reject the true faith. Delivered once for all to all the saints, as we read in the book of Jude. Today, we, boy, there's these popular words flying around. Reinventing things. We need to reinvent, reimagine. The latest one, again from the left, is we need to reimagine law enforcement. Imagine law enforcement with no law enforcement. Right? Imagine law enforcement that can't enforce the law. That's what they're talking about. And people are doing the same thing with Christianity. It doesn't work anymore for the 21st century. We're postmodern. We're not just modern. We're postmodern. So we need to reinvent and reimagine Christianity. No, I don't think so. You didn't invent it. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. You don't have any right to mess with His stuff. We're not to reinvent. You know what needs to be reinvented? You and me. We need to be regenerated by the Spirit of God. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's the reinvention that we need. So he who overcomes the blessings... The promises are for the overcomer, the victor, the one who stands firm to the end. Now at the end of the day, God's the judge. He knows. He knows who's his and he knows who's not. And we might, you know, look at someone and say, well, I don't know, man, I don't see a lot of fruit there, but I'm not the final arbiter of that person's salvation. God is. But I think the the wise path, the right path, is to be an overcomer, don't you? I mean, some people want to take that chance of, well, yeah, I got saved in 1982, and I'm good to go, but I don't really have time for all this church stuff, religious stuff. But, you know, me and Jesus, Tom T. Hall, me and Jesus got our own thing going, right? Well, you know, that's fine. It's between you and the Lord, but I think I want to be an overcomer. Shall be clothed in white garments. So here again, the white garment, the garment of righteousness. So this promise is not just for the faithful in Sardis, but to every believer who overcomes. White garments are symbolic of righteousness, victory, and the glory of God. Now, my only problem when I wear white garments is I always get something on them. You know? Never fails. Of course, I guess part of that is because on a dark garment, you don't see it as much. But it really shows up on a white garment. But the good news is, when we get these white garments, we won't ever have to worry about any more stains. They're going to stay pure. Pure as the driven snow. I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Now this is interesting. By the way, this does not mean that you can lose your salvation. It's actually a promise of security for the true believer. To not blot out As a figure of speech affirming a positive by negating its opposite. Thus it means, I will not blot out his name. It means I will include his or her name. I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Now, there's the widely accepted interpretation of this verse, which, by the way, in ancient cities, they kept records of their citizens just like we do today. We just had a big census. I won't ask how many of you didn't fill it out. I guess you all did. There was no... I didn't sense anything here you don't have to tell me and I don't have to tell you (laughs) but they would keep registers of their citizens and in those days unlike today the names of the dead were erased they would have this book this registry of the citizens And when somebody passed they would erase their name from that registry it's too bad they don't do that today we wouldn't have all these dead people voting There's a thought. But the book of life mentioned here contains the names of all those who were born physically into this world. This is the most widely accepted viewpoint here that the book of life is the book of all those who were born into this world which negates this idea some people teach pre-existence. The Bible doesn't teach that. When God creates us that's the moment that we become a living being. In the womb. Those who reject Christ have their names blotted out of this book of life. For all purposes to God, they're dead. True believers have their names recorded. There's another book mentioned, Revelation 13, 8. It's the Lamb's book of life. True believers have their names recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And those who do not have their name in the Lamb's book of life will go to hell. Revelation 20, verse 15 lambs book of life revelation 13:8 and also revelation 21:27 so i will not blot out his name or i will include his name in the book of life but i will confess his name before my father and before his angels now to have the lord publicly confess one's name is to have the lord's approval Of one's character and service. I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. Father, he, she, they're one of mine. Welcome them into your eternal kingdom. They belong to me. In Luke 12, 8 and 9, Jesus says, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. Uh, Chick Chicalis, I mentioned, pastor of uh, Calvary Chapel, St. Paul, he was a chaplain with the St. Paul Police Department for 25 years. But as there were changes in the leadership within that police department, it came to a point where they no longer wanted him to... As a chaplain, he would, you know, offer up prayers when they would meet together, the police force, or if they were uh, out helping someone who'd been in some kind of a tragic situation, a shooting or drug overdose or something, then Chick... Obviously, one of his main responsibilities was to pray for people. And, of course, he would always pray in Jesus' name. Well, he got a warning not too long ago that he was no longer to do that. We don't want you praying in Jesus' name. It's offensive to people. And so, of course, Chick, being my kind of guy, he offered up a prayer in Jesus' name. And they gave him his walking papers. But I'd rather get walking papers from the St. Paul Police Department than from God. I don't want any walking papers from God. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so, whoever confesses me, Jesus says, before men. If you're afraid to say the name of Jesus in front of people, you've got a problem. If you're afraid they might become offended, you've got a problem. And there's a reason why Satan has successfully made sure that the number one swear word in the world is Jesus. Because it's the only name that has the power to save. There's no other name given under heaven by which man must be saved except for the name of Jesus. The name above all names. So of course the devil's going to try to trash the name of Jesus. But we have to stand firm And not be afraid to say his name. Proclaim his name as the Savior of the world. But, verse 9, he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. You don't want to get there and have them say, I'm sorry, I don't know you. The Christians at Sardis, it would appear, were dangerously close to denying Jesus before men. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. And again, that more and more we see where churches are steering away from using the name Jesus, talking about sin, talking about the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, and so forth. Sardis was in a very dangerous place, like many today. And what happens is that those who were drawn into dead religion soon see no purpose in proclaiming a risen Savior. So that is the scenario for Sardis. Not a good one, but the good news, there was a faithful remnant and there were still promises for those faithful folks who were overcomers, that they would be clothed in white, that their names would not be blotted out from the book of life, that Jesus would acknowledge them before the Father, And all the angels in heaven, then that's exactly what we desire as well, is it not? Let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you love us too much to lull us into a false sense of security. Lord, your love is tough sometimes, but your love is real. We thank you for the glorious, wonderful promises. For those who overcome, Lord, and it is our sincere desire to be overcomers. Lord, not to become one of those who fall away, who drift away. Lord, as you predicted in the last days that many would fall away from the faith. We want to be those who stand firm to the end and who are clothed in white and are there to celebrate with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Father, thank you. You promised the power of your Holy Spirit to those who ask. You said you love to give good gifts to your children. How much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we ask right now, Father, for the power of your Holy Spirit to be with us, in us, and upon us. Give us strength, Lord, to stand firm in these last days. And Father, now as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you need prayer this morning. We're not laying on of hands right now. We're not doing that. But if you need prayer, whether it's for health, wisdom, guidance, maybe the salvation of a loved one, a friend or a family member, whatever it might be, provision. Maybe you've been struggling through this pandemic. It's been a difficult time. God knows that. He wants to take care of you. He wants to provide for you. I see your hands. We're going to pray for you right now. Father, I lift up each one this morning that's raised their hand. God, you see them. You know them. You know them better than they know themselves. And you're a loving Heavenly Father. Your desire is to bless your children. Lord, not because we're perfect, but simply because we have humbled ourselves before you and acknowledge that we need a savior father we know that we are sinners and we thank you for the salvation that comes through the shed blood of jesus christ i pray for each one right now lord you know what they need that's the amazing thing lord you're omniscient you know everything you're omnipotent you're all powerful you're omnipresent you're everywhere so we know that you're here with us right now and i pray for each one whether it's for health lord if they need healing we ask that you pour out your healing oil upon them Lord, encouragement, strength, wisdom, guidance, provision for the basic needs of life. Lord, we look to you as our source for everything that we need in this life and in the life to come. So I ask your blessing upon each one of these now. Pray that you would receive now our final offering of worship before we depart, and we pray for safe travel to wherever we're going, whether it be to our homes, to a friend or family member out to lunch, wherever it might be, Father. Just be with us and make us aware of your presence throughout this day and throughout this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.